Welcome to a brand new episode of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we have a very special guest. We have Lawrence Dotson. He's a writer, photographer, NFT creator, and collector. Uh, he took photos of the late, great Tupac Shakur. And in the time he spent as a journalist, he interviewed Biggie Smalls, the Wu-Tang Clan, 3-6 Mafia, Cash Money, and others. And he was the managing director at Chronic Magazine, one of the most well-known and successful hip-hop indie magazines for 10 years. Welcome, Lawrence. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. Absolutely, man. So just curious, what do you prefer? Do you prefer Lawrence, Larry, or Loopy? Oh, man, don't call me Larry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, don't call me Larry. Lawrence, Lawrence or Loopy, you know? It's funny because, like, just over the course of my life, I've played so many different roles that people know me as different things. So they don't know me as Lawrence, they don't know me as Mr. Dotson, they don't know me as Loopy. And if I cross crowds and I, someone calls, hey, Loopy, and they're looking at me like uh, Mr. Dotson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, so just depend on where I'm, you know, what circles I'm running at the at the moment. I so, gotcha. Whatever right. feels natural and good to you guys, you know, so I'm I'm with it. Just don't call me Larry. Okay. Yeah, I like Loopy. That's a cool nickname. All right. Cool. All right, man. So obviously, as our audience knows, and as probably everybody else who just knows me knows, I'm a huge fan of Tupac. Mm -hmm. So it was so cool to come into contact with you, man, just obviously because of the fact that you met him and you like photographed him at a pivotal point in his career. So for those who don't know a little bit of background on Pac, Tupacalypse Now was his first major album. Uh, I think he had some like unreleased songs or some like uh, just lesser known tracks with Layla Steinberg at the time. But Tupacalypse Now in 1991 slash 1992 was his big breakthrough, right? So first of all, you know, how did you get into how did you get in touch with him? And then like, what did you just think about kind of the aura or the atmosphere around them at the time? Because this was like pretty much when he was just breaking out and he was becoming the Tupac that we came to know. Yeah, well, the way I made Tupac, it was it was, you know, it was by chance. Um, at the time, I was working for a magazine called No Sellout. It was another independent magazine in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And um, we were known as the Tip Top Hip Hop Ragamuffin Black Rock Mag Rag. So we pretty much covered like, you know, the whole spectrum of black music. Um, so as a writer, fledgling writer, just getting started, um, they gave us magazines like, hey, you want to make some money? You're not getting paid for writing. So go sell some magazines. So I was in Hollywood, you know, just selling magazines walking down the street and I look in a bar and I see Tupac sitting there at the bar having a drink. I was like, oh, okay, let me go walk up to him. So I walked up to him. Wow. Uh, Yo, check out this magazine, man. It's, you know, brand new magazines, two bucks, you know, check it out. So he gave me two bucks and uh, sat there, looked through the magazine, talked a little bit and said, yeah, it's a pretty dope magazine, man. Why don't you come to the, um, I'm having a show tonight. Why don't you come through? I was like, all right, yeah, I'll be there. Cool. So I left and I was like, dang, I just met Tupac. You know, so I went and got a um, disposable camera from the thrifties right around the corner from my house and I showed up at the show that night and I took those pictures. And the amazing thing is that um, there were probably only two other cameras in the house that night. Um, one steel camera and then like a video camera. And so as far as I know, you know, my pictures are the only ones that, you know, have survived that that show. It was a record release party for his um, for Tupacalypse Now. It was a record release party. Um, I was invited by Party Records to come down and cover it. And I got those pictures. And so one of the reasons why I took the pictures, I mean, really was because, you know, Tupac supported me. You know what I'm saying? He gave me two bucks for a magazine. I'm like, oh, that's big. You know, that's love. You know, I'm showing him some love back mm -hmm. and take some pictures for his first show. And, you know, back then it's like you had to wait for the film to get developed and, you know, you didn't have one on your phone, you didn't even have a phone, <laughs> you know, people weren't having phones like that. But um, I never got a chance to see him again to give him those pictures. Um, I saw him twice after that night. Um, once was at Jack the Rapper, which was like a big um, hip hop showcase yep. back in the day, and this was in Atlanta. Now, I saw him there and ran into him. I had another um, issue of the magazine. He bought another issue of the magazine from me. Wow. Um, and then I saw him one other time in L.A. at a club. And um, and that was it. Then after that, he did um, Juice. And if you really follow Tupac, you kind of know that after Juice, you know, the whole thug life kind of came to life for him. Mm -hmm. Almost as if he didn't, you know, let go of that Bishop character. Right. That's one thing about, you know, Tupac. I mean, he's very talented, you know, not just as a rapper, but as an actor. You know what I'm saying? He's very gifted. He's a very talented um, individual. And I know 
for a fact that sometimes characters are hard to let go. I was an actor um, when when I was younger. Um, before I started writing, as actually, I was doing some theater. And there's some roles you just can't let go. I played Charlie Parker in the play. And this was around the time that I took the pictures of Tupac. And it was also around the time of the LA riots. This was all in 92. All this happened in, in um, April of 92. All this happened. I took the pictures of Tupac. Um, I did this acting role that I couldn't let go of this Charlie Parker character that I embodied and the riots. Yep. So all this you know, anxiety and angst, all these things happening. It's kind of like, you know, you do what you got to do to survive. And sometimes a character that you take on can be your survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. You, know? Um, you know, just having that toughness or just that, you know, I'm going to endure, I'm going to last, you know? And that's kind of like, you know, the path that Tupac took. He's like, I'm going to last, I'm built to last, stud life. Prior to that, he was, I would always see him by himself. He would always be by himself at the club or, you know, just hanging out, you know, before he blew up. And um, yeah, he's a very deep brother, you know? Yeah, and I remember reading and reading your story that you guys actually had a pretty great conversation the first time around, that it wasn't just about where he was going or even necessarily about just rap music in general, but it was more so about like the problems of rap music. Can you tell us a little bit about that, especially culturally speaking? Well, yeah, um, the culture at the time, um, when hip hop was starting to emerge and, and started to become more mainstream, you know, it was more like a party atmosphere. You know what I mean? It's like people were kind of like having fun, talking about where they were from, where they were at, what parties they were going to go to. You know, um, people weren't talking about all the cars and the planes and all that. They didn't have that yet. You know, so what better thing to talk about than the things that are issues in our community? You know, so. Um, one of the articles in the magazine I gave him um, talked about misogyny, you know, talking, you know, calling women bitches and hoes and, and all that. And, um, you know, he says like, hey, it's um, part of our culture. You know, not every woman is a bitch or a hoe, only ones that act like bitches or hoes or bitches and hoes. And that was kind of like the, the, the um, what everyone thought at the time. That was kind of like the way that we get over. It's not. It's the way you act. It's your character. So it wasn't an attack against everyone, but it was just an attack against the character of a certain type of woman. You know, I was like, okay, I I, I can see that. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're not dissing your mom. You're not dissing your sister. You're not. You know, it's these women or people who act the way that a bitch or a hoe or a buster would act. You know, it's not actually not everyone is that. But people get things twisted and, you know, they want to make it sound like you're a bad person um, because you say these things, you know, but these are just natural expressions from our environment. This is what we grew up around. And a lot of times people just take that and use that to express themselves and rap, you know, is a vehicle where you can express yourself, you know, as freely as you want. Yeah. So yeah, people would get it twisted, right? If they just hear a rapper using the words like uh, "bitch," "ho," all that kind of stuff, it's they think that it's just because they're they're kind of put on this uh, pedestal. They're out there in the mainstream that that's just like how they're referring to women in general, right? But that's that's a that's definitely the wrong characterization there, right? It's just like uh, I I definitely uh, I can get behind that yeah if if you're referring to a certain kind of person when you're talking like that and people think that you're referring to all women like that it's really I mean it's kind of I would say it's kind of the public's fault right for twisting that perception in some in right? some way in some way so here's why I would say that uh, because it's not as nuanced a lot of times right so when you have like um, so look, I, I don't mean to speak about it as though I'm in the industry because I'm obviously not. So this is just me as an observer looking from the outside in. But like when you listen to a lot of music, there is no nuance, right? So here's what I mean by that, right? So like with Pac, he had a song called Wonder Why They Call You Bitch, right? So rappers don't do that, right? So here's why, right? So rappers will usually kind of refer to all women as 
as bitches, right? Like like with Jay-Z and he wrote, um, what was that song? Big Pimpin', right? So Big Pimpin' kind of just sounds like he's talking about just women generally speaking, right? He's like, like I don't remember exactly the lyrics, but he pretty much makes it seem like, like I, this is not for me. Like I'm not for settling down because like women kind of suck and I'm even being nice in the way I'm describing it. It wasn't that, right? But with like, wonder why we call you bitch, Pac actually explained why it was that they used the term. So the beginning begins something like, look here, Miss Thing, hate to assault your game, but you are a money hungry woman and you need to change. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like he's kind of telling you, like, this is why we're using the term for you. Uh, but whereas like with other rappers, they don't really do that. Right. They don't even talk about it. It's more like like this is what sells. And I think the understanding is like because like using these kind of terms, talking about music, whatever, I'm not even talking about money or whatever they kind of make it seem as though like again it's sort of everybody because this is what people listen to so because like who's going to really like listen to it or who's going to buy a title uh, title track called like wonder why they call you bitch like people don't care about that right but Pac made it made sure that other people understood why he was doing it so mm -hmm. it's kind of just interesting when you think about it but like yeah there's not much nuance in like rap music outside of someone like that I mean I mean only the artist really knows kind of like what they mean right when they're saying what they're saying yeah. but i don't know i feel like that about i'm not going to switch gears entirely but just a little tangent yeah. um comedy too like the things that comedians find funny or their audience finds funny technically if you show that to everyone people are going to misinterpret right. what what that comedian's actually saying or sometimes you say something that's offensive oh uh, sorry what'd you say oh i'm sorry yeah i was just gonna say it's all about context yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's, it's all about your audience you know what i mean the people who know what you're talking about and who really listen to what you're saying, they're going to hear it. And they're going to hear it in the context you're speaking. They're not going to hear the word just automatically be triggered like, oh, that's a bad thing. They're going to judge. You know, people are really trying to pay attention and listen. When you let go of your ego, you know, and you're really listening, like taking yourself out of the equation and trying to hear what this person trying to communicate. Like, oh, OK. You know, it's like, like I said, looking at it from a different context, from just as an observer or, you know, just someone who's just a fan of the music. You know, it's like you you really get an, an idea of what this person is talking about. Like I said, you know, how Tupac, he explained why he called women the bitches and like he described it. You know, he put mm -hmm. in all the context, you know, so why would somebody be mad when he explains it and he's just not using it just arbitrarily? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I love that. And I remember there was um, there was this really great ESPN documentary a couple of years ago it was on Mike Tyson and Tupac, like between about their friendship, which was really mm -hmm. like really so super dope. Um, and then so I remember there was uh, I forgot who the journalist was and she was a uh, I think maybe a hip hop reporter. But, you know, she was like, yeah, you know, there was like this sort of dichotomy to Pac because on the one hand, he could write something like keep your head up and obviously baby don't cry the second part of that. And, you know, he could be super pro women. But then on the other hand, like, yeah, he's making songs like all about you and even wonder why they call you bitch and he's talking about women in derogatory ways so it's interesting because a lot of times people see that as a contradiction and i think the way she described it was she's like you know it's kind of a shame that he didn't live past 25 because we didn't see him kind of merge the extremes mm -hmm. i don't necessarily agree with that so and the reason why is just like because of what we're talking about context is king here so if we're thinking about like people and who they are and the complexities of all of it right uh you're never going to get to a point where you're like okay all women are this or all women are that or even like merging extremes because people are or just generally not one particular thing. So when we think about what he talked about, he talked about like these people here and then those people there. And then like with the conversation that he and you had, he said pretty much that misogyny was a problem, right? So people who hate women generally don't say that misogyny is a problem. But it's like, again, it's so hard for us. It seems like just like culturally, generally speaking, for us to think like, oh man, yeah, he could think one way about these women over here and then another way about those women over there. Yeah, the beautiful thing about um, hip hop, the culture, is that we can talk about these things freely, like I said. Um, it's all about a matter of context. I like, um, like Kendrick Lamar on his last album, not the latest one that's out, but um, um, damn, he said, you know, how can he, you know, people ask him, like, how can he write a song about God and beauty and all these things and talk about, you know, drugs and sex and all these other things. I mean, it's like we, every day, everyone does that. You know, we mix our, our thoughts and, you know, our ideas about things all the time. You know, it's like, you know, we often contradict ourselves, you know, because we all stand on different sides of different issues. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's great how we're able to like come into this conversation, you know, with a, a bigger view of what hip hop is now. I think back in those days, back in the nineties, you know, it was like hip hop was a black thing, but everyone was invited. Right. 
you know um once everybody started coming to the party they started you know talking to people and they started getting like oh oh and they started getting these concepts they started understanding um you know how we can like talk about one thing talk about another thing they're on two different you know opposite sides of the, of the spectrum mm-hmm. and then we get other people's points of views and it's like oh okay well you know you just, all these things start to open up and all these conversations start to happen and then you have all these different types of hip-hop coming out and different people talking about different issues you know what i mean um it's, it's just amazing it's like it's really been uh it's it's brought together the people in a way that i don't think anything else in history has you know as far as like you know bringing people together for conversation and for unity you know it hasn't um you know isolated people i feel like i said it's brought more conversations to the table yeah and it's like when you're kind of thinking about again the complexity and the nuance right it's like with rhythm and rhyme you could pretty much understand another person's perspective in a way that's obviously both kind of engaging and entertaining Mm -hmm. so that's what i love about so much about the music right because oftentimes like you know we shut ourselves off from different perspectives but honestly man you put in the catchy melody and then hey you want to hear this guy's story yeah uh, honestly sometimes it starts out that way some people actually the way i started out listening to music was actually just how the beat sounded Mm -hmm. and if it sounded good and then i started later as i grew up actually paying attention more to the lyrics and then when i actually would pay attention to the lyrics i'm like holy shit like Mm -hmm. the things different artists would talk about if you really try to wrap your mind around it some of it can really change your perspective even on life right sometimes you know Yeah. yeah. And Lupi, did you feel that way about Pac-Man when you kind of engaged with some of his lyrics and, you know, obviously thought a little bit deeper about them? Um, kind of in a way, I mean, it's like, I, I relate, I can't remember which album it was, but I mean, you know, California Love, okay, mm-hmm. for example. I'm native California, born and raised in LA. Yep. You know, there's a, you know, lyrics, there's, you know, every LA, everything in LA got a little thug in them. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I mean, I'm, look, I'm, straight up, you know, black middle class, you know, group in a good area and everything and all that. But, you know, when you, when you grow up, you know, black in LA, you kind of like see everything, you know what I'm saying? You see the rich side, you see the poor side because it's such an industry town. It's like, everyone wants to be like kind of related to someone who's in the industry. Like, you know, because we're so close to all this stardom and all this stuff, it's like, you try to find those places where you can be around it. You know, in Hollywood is the place you go there and you hang out in the clubs, you might go there and you'll see a celebrity. It's like, oh, wow, they're hanging out here just like me. Wow. So it's, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a big melting pot in a way, you know, so you learn, you know, you learn some street ways, you learn how different people maneuver in different areas, you know, in different um, lifestyles, um, also grew up in a time where you know school schools were like integrated you know mm. so it's like i didn't just go to school with like you know black kids or like you know just kids in the hood i was like integrated and like bust you know the schools where it's like you know it was white kids and all that stuff so i kind of grew up with a big you know um you know a, a large group of friends from different backgrounds you know different areas and everything mm. uh, so i feel like like i said all those little parts they add to the conversation and they, um, you know, make hip hop and just music and culture in general, you know, more, uh, how can I say it? I just, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's a better mix, a better, you know, conversation because you get more people into it. You know, you're not just coming from one perspective. You're not getting the perspective of just, um, you know, somebody poor who grew up with nothing, you know what I mean? It's like you have people who, you know, did have something and they can still relate to, you know, what some of you didn't have anything, you know, what they had or what they didn't have, how they grew up. Yeah. And that's cool because that, that brings different kinds of people together from different classes, right? I mean, that that's the unification aspect of, of hip hop, yeah. right? And that's that's an amazing thing. There's not a lot of things like that. Um, I mean, sure. I mean, you can say like a, a good movie could do that. A good, you know, uh, maybe book, maybe, you know, but when it comes to music, though, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. It, it, sometimes, especially when it's 
like let's say a, a certain genre right uh, that that creates sort of a bigger like a uh, picture in a way right i mean when you when you right when, when you limit it to one particular movie let's say right i mean that's great you know a lot of people saw the matrix for instance it related to the matrix and a lot of people could you know from different backgrounds could you know unify around that mm -hmm. but a genre of music is something that i would say transcends that right it's not just one artist it's not just one album right. it's a whole set of artists whole set of albums and something that you know people can just be into that's even that that kind of is bigger than themselves yeah that's interesting yeah. well so and you know i kind of have a follow-up question for lupi about sure. that um so when Pac talked to you about misogyny do you think that that's what he was kind of getting at that you know here was this force that was supposed to bring people together and in some way people were using it not maybe for evil but they were using it kind of the wrong way that it was sort of misdirected and that's what he was upset about mm. well i don't think he was upset about people using it in in the bad way Mm -hmm. I mean, just making a comment like, you know, people use it for different reasons. Yep. You know, everyone has their, their reasons for, you know, speaking the way they do and expressing the way that they are, you know? Um, so I don't think he was necessarily putting people down, but he was just saying like, you know, hey, you know, it is a problem because anytime you hate, I mean, that was things like, you know, Tupac went about hating nobody. I'm you know, saying like when you start to hate, and, you know, you have this anger and you have all these issues, you know, you, you got to get it out. You know, and for some people, it's like, you can call them, you know, they might have been hurt by women. So it's like, okay, let me call this bitch a hoe because of what she did and how she is and she's taking my money, you know, they'll have a reason. But then on the next album, you know, maybe they've gone through an experience or if someone has talked to them, it's like, hey, you shouldn't be saying that, you know, it's wrong. Think about your mom, think about your auntie, think about these people, you know, think, you know, just give them more context. And like you're saying, you know, artists, when they come out with bodies of work, you know, it's kind of like an evolution. You know, each album is like an evolution because they've done more and they've, you know, um, experienced more. And so their views could change. You know, they can like tell you on the albums, like, okay, well, I've said this before, and now I'm saying this now. And here's why. And a lot of times it will give, you know, their their reason. Um, but like I said, it's like I said, it's good that hip hop is so dynamic that people can express themselves, you know, any way that they can and you know, justify it. And there are people out there who can relate to what they're saying and not just hold it against them or like, you know, say, okay, well, that's how they are, unless they consistently give that viewpoint yep. and they don't budge from, you know, like, no, this is how I feel about it and this is where I'm at, you know? Yeah. And then so, but in terms of the photos, right? So what happened in that story? How come they never got developed or at least until now? Well, like I said, um, I took them for him. Mm -hmm. and so since I never got a chance to give them to him, mm -hmm. I was kind of held on to him. I didn't um, try to sell them to a magazine to get published or anything. I kind of held on to him. Uh, you know, maybe I'll give them to him another time. And, you know, probably what happens, I just got more caught up into the journalistic aspect of, you know, um, hip hop. Um, photography is kind of like a hobby for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like kind of the guy who always had the camera at the party or whatever, you know what I mean? taking pictures of friends and all that and then like for some reason i was taking a lot of pictures of la during that time um this like prior to the riots and then when the riots happened in april you know 29th 1992 i was out with my camera i had a camera i had a tape recorder i was going out interviewing people i was taking pictures of everything that was going on around me um it was just um yeah it was just it was just a crazy time during during those days um you know kind of like hip-hop and photography kind of like you know got me out of this this sort of depression i guess i was in because um once again like i really couldn't relate to hip-hop being a middle-class kid and then when i got the opportunity to talk to you know rappers like tupac or like um you know foosh nickens or like you know people were just coming out at the time and, and you know emerging um I felt we all had something in common. We're all just trying to, you know, find a, a place in this life and 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 to matter. Yeah, mm. I love you know that. Because, I mean? like I said, you know, I'm a middle class kid. People think, oh, you know, he had any problems. Nothing's wrong. You know, he's cool. Whatever, whatever. But you know, I mean, everyone has problems. You know, it's just all in perspective. Um. So, I don't know. Kind of like lost track. Of what That's okay. Doing. 
But yeah, but, I mean, because um, like I said, you know, we're just gonna like free phone with this. So my mind is like, all right, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. Well, just staying on the topic of the photos, right? Because now they've become NFTs. How did you make that happen? Well, like I said, after um, you know, I held on to the photos. I never had them published or anything. Um, mm -hmm. in 2017. I'd um, hooked up with a photography group. I started, you know, wanting to take pictures again. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, you guys, I got these negatives of Tupac, you know. Um, yeah. I get them that, must, that must have been mind-blowing, like, for somebody to hear that. They're like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, what? You know, what do you mean? What? And so they're like, okay, take it to this guy. He'll, you know, he'll um, scan them for you and not, you know, trying to gank you or nothing like that. I was like, all right, cool. So once I had them scanned, you know, I started showing them to people. They're like, oh, my God, you know wow you know people like you know freaking out all these pictures so i was in 2017 so i think it was like maybe two years later that i heard about nfts and i was like oh you know this is a this would be something you know this would be something i can um you know do with these pictures you know let me try that so um i got a team together and we worked towards you know doing this nft drop and um you know it took us wow it took us about a year to pull everything together and do the drop and i tell you within that year it's like so much changed within blockchain technology and the way things were done that by the time it came to my cell um i kind of didn't follow the right protocols i felt um there are a lot of things I could have done differently that would have got them sold but it did get a lot of attention because like i said these pictures hadn't been seen and it's funny because maybe not too long after i did finally show the pictures in public the video of that show that night came out on YouTube. Mm. So if you like Google Tupac Glam Slam, you'll see a videotape performance of Tupac mm. at that same show. And if you look real closely and you see a flash in the audience, that's me <laughs> taking a picture of Pac performing. I tripped out, I was like, whoa, you know, I saw that on YouTube. Um, so yeah, so basically that's how the 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 pictures got you know turned into NFTs. I just been holding on to them. I really didn't have much interest in trying to sell them to anybody. Um, I want to do something that would honor him rather than just like you know trying to make a profit off it. Mm -hmm. The first thing I did this is probably like twenty about twenty um, twenty sixteen. I'd had some really you know cheap scans I did on my computer and I made a calendar and um, I was going to sell this calendar. I had written to the estates trying to get their permission and everything. I didn't hear back from them. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to do anything without a blessing. So I didn't do anything with it. So they kind of sat around again. And so when I did the NFT drop, I teamed up with a nonprofit agency that um, operates in um, Tupac's hometown up in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And one of the props or one of the, um, um, benefits of owning the um, Tupac NFTs was that this nonprofit was going to plant trees in Tupac's neighborhood. You know, just like if you bought an NFT, then we're going to plant, you know, like a thousand trees or, you know, however many trees we can plant with the donations I was giving them from the proceeds from the sale. Um, you know, just to beautify the area. You know, I wanted something I was going to like leave some kind of positive lasting um, sign you know, of, 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 you know, positivity, you know, I didn't want to say, okay, here's the, here's the sale and I got the money. Thanks. Goodbye. You know, I want to do something, um, that would, um, honor Tupac, um, honor his people and, and his legacy. Yeah. Wow, man. I love that. So, and then in terms of like the actual photos themselves, I mean, how to, so, I mean, I guess, is there a way now for you to buy the NFTs or, so I don't know anything about NFTs, just FYI. So how does this work, right? Are they kind of sold out at this point? Are there still available ones? Um, well, they're not available right now because I'm, you know, kind of rebooting and mm -hmm. revamping the, 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 um, what do you call it? The, um, like the use of, of the NFTs. Mm -hmm. the, the the thing is now it's like you know nfts they got to have some kind of utility mm -hmm. um, some kind of use not just something to look at not something to collect and just put on a shelf or whatever um people are tying nfts to games they're tying them to music they're tying it to you know um tickets for events mm -hmm. you know um so it's just all about remarketing re-strategizing how i'm going to utilize the nfts 
in a way that um, they're not just, you know, a digital file that you that you own. You know, there will be some utility to it, something that you can use, or there will be some other benefit besides saying, "Hey, I own the Tupac NFTs." You know. Oh, wow, so you ever heard I, of? No. Oh, my bad. Sorry. Um, did you ever hear of? Uh, you got you guys know uh, Lincoln Park? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there's uh, one of the guys in the band, uh, Mike Shinoda. He's uh, the rapper from there. Um, he ended up creating a new album that actually uh, is uh, basically it's one song, but like I think a th I think it's a thousand different versions of the same song with little diff like and they're, they're being sold as like nft versions of the song and so let's say the the beat is a little bit different or something's a little bit slowed down of, of the same song or um maybe one is like a reggae version of the song another one's more of like a metal version of the song or another one's more hip-hop another one's more classic rock or something like that and uh, apparently it did really really well um they sold a lot uh, of of that and then um, our other artists are getting ideas from that too. Maybe also creating like NFT albums or different versions of the same song that somebody could own. Um, I know that like for NFTs, uh, there's also depending how you, uh, um, like there's a certain ro like royalties, depending what marketplace or however you sell it, you might every time that it's sold, the original owner of the NFT gets like 5% back. Uh, I know about that. Um, out of curiosity, though, because I know you said it's still in the works, but um, how, like, what are some ideas you were thinking of, like, how to sort of integrate the Tupac NFT? Because, like, I know that they do, like, uh, depending what is, like, like you said, if it's a game, uh, then, yeah, there's a use for the NFT along with the game, or uh, some of them offer certain incentives, or they'll say, like what you said with the planting trees or something like that, every time the NFT is bought or depending how the sale goes. Um, what, what were like some ideas that maybe you were having with that? Well, um, after that whole NFT experience, I kind of like took a you know step back. Mm -hmm. um, because like I said, it's like every day it's something new and it's like the, the field is just, it's developing so rapidly. It's like, wow, it's, it's really hard to keep up with. Um, after the NFT drop, I kind of like went back to the drawing board, I guess you could say, and went back to my love of, you know, writing. I'm like, okay, I've done NFTs. I've done this photography thing. Okay, I need to focus on my writing because that's where my focus is. Mm -hmm. um, I'm writing a, um, a memoir, um, pretty much kind of like, you know, probably like the first 25 years of my life that includes um, the, you know, the LA riots, you know, me becoming a hip hop journalist and all that. And um, what happened as a result of the NFT drop, I got the attention of a, um, a blockchain um, movie production company. And they were kind of like interested in, in my story. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, so there's a possibility that the NFTs could come back to life reborn as a utility to use along with um, this documentary that I'm going to spawn out of the memoir I'm writing and working with this um, this blockchain company. So, um, you know, the NFTs could become part of a, the metaverse I'm building, the Loopy D metaverse, so to speak. And, um, you know, the NFTs could be used as tickets to, you know, see the movie or, you know, some other aspect of this metaverse that I'm building um, revolving around growing up in LA, um, all the different aspects and, you know, interests I have in, theater, music, um, film, um, you know, literature, poetry, all these different things. So the NFT experience kind of opened me up more to like the web three platform experience. I'm just right. trying to expand and like, you know, move forward, you know, this new technology. Um, I've always been involved, like, you know, new stuff. I'm like a gadget kind of guy, you know what I mean? It's like there's something new and interesting. Like, oh, I want to know about it. You know, I want to know something about it. Um, yeah. So fortunately, yeah, this NFT experience is, you know, kind of forced me to get more into the development of Web3 and blockchain um, on different avenues and different aspects. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's exciting time for me right now, you know, and it's also, like I said, motivating me to 
be more focused on my writing, even though these other things, the photography, um, video, all these things, you know, are, you know, I, I love these things and they're passionate. I'm really passionate about my writing. And, um, you know, it's exciting to be able to um, come out of that NFT experience and have it, you know, push my writing more um, and then into an avenue that I'm not familiar with, but something new, something new to learn and something new to exploit. And, um, you know, I'm excited about that. Yeah. No, it's super cool because also what's cool about, uh, I, we don't know yet. I mean, the Web3 space is still, you know, it's literally, it's happening as we speak. It's in development, right? But um, it'd be cool if one day there's like these sort of virtual spaces, like let's say you, you, ha you have a virtual home or mm -hmm. virtual land that you own. And then maybe you have a virtual home and then in that virtual home, that's where you might hang your, you know, pieces of art, let's say. Mm -hmm. You might have like Tupac NFTs or maybe some other things from hip hop. Mm -hmm. And you might make that like totally dedicated to that. Mm -hmm. And that's that's incredibly cool where that's going. I promise you, like right now, we think we have an idea of where it's going to be mm -hmm. another five years from now. I bet you we're going to have like a new version of VR. Like mm -hmm. I know Oculus is like the new, I think Facebook is coming out with something called, uh, I was just checking this out the other day. It's something called Project Cambria. It's another new headset where it's like, it mixes augmented reality with actual reality. So it'll still be like this view that you're seeing in front of like us, but maybe there's like a little, there's like avatars or different <laughs> information on the screen. Kind of like Pokemon uh, Go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's, guys, it's yeah. I was like, you guys have Oculus? You ever mess around Oculus? He does. Yeah, yeah. I have it uh, in the corner here somewhere. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you can't see it. It's not on screen. But uh, yeah, no, there. Wow, that's awesome that you grabbed that. Yeah, right over here. So like, I don't know. I we would play. Um, I was playing this uh, zombie game the other day with my friend. Uh, it's really crazy. We're like literally running around, and you're turning, and there's things on the ceiling shooting them or beat saber. It's so, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, virtual reality. I mean, it is another form of reality if you think about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, I feel like, like thoughts are just like tiny little molecules. You know what I'm saying? And once those molecules gather momentum, they become a thing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if virtual reality is something that you can see, if it's made up of like, you know, pixels or whatever these things are, you know, these pictures, I mean, that's, that is a form of reality. You know, so your, we, your brain thinks it's real for sure. Like exactly. it interacts with it like it's real. So right, you know, yeah. and if you didn't have these headsets on, how would you be able to distinguish the two? <laughs> oh my god! Imagine one day it gets so good that you can't tell like virtual reality from actual reality. <laughs> you can have your virtual version do the podcast for you next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I actually, sorry, just to strip the gears a little bit because like this, this is something I didn't know how to get into. But uh, and hopefully you're cool with it. If anything, we could change the subject of anything um, I caught when I followed you on Instagram earlier uh, that uh, you actually are. Uh, I, I don't know if you're currently dealing with it or not, but um, uh, I believe I, I read uh, something that you have about uh, prostate cancer and like your experience sort of dealing with that. Um, how is that for you uh, dealing with that? Yeah, so I was diagnosed, um, gosh, like last August <clears throat> with prostate cancer. Yeah. Um, something that runs my family, my father, he succumbed to it, my grandfather, my mother's side succumbed to it. So I'd always been um, keeping up with my blood work and everything, trying to keep an eye on all those levels. And then um, at a time when I was like supposed to have some kind of uh, a biopsy done, I had to work. I was freelance. I was a freelance film worker. So, you know, it's like this feast or famine with that, you know, you get the jobs and you take it. So I missed out on the biopsy and then um, COVID hit and I couldn't go to the hospital, couldn't go to the doctor or anything. So about a year passed before I was able to go back to the doctor, have the diagnosis done, you know, found out I had the cancer. Um, I had the surgery, had my prostate removed in February, towards the end of February. So a little, you know, a little under three months ago. And, um, you know, I've just been like, you know, healing from that. Um, like I said, once again, it gave me the perspective, like, okay, I need to do what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? It's like, I can't waste time. I have to like, you know, push myself and, 
you know, create these things that I want, you know, to exist. Um, so when I did get the diagnosis, I, you know, I'm like, okay, if anything bad happens, I'm going to accept it. You know, that's one of my things, like, you know, I always accept the outcomes. I don't try to be in denial about it. Sooner I grab it and grasp a hold of it, you know, the sooner I can able, I'm able to um, do something, you know, take action. So, you know, it's all about, you know, getting my mindset in the healthy, you know, positive light and um, think of all the things I can do to, to help myself. And like I said, one of the things is, you know, finishing these projects, you know, just because I've failed at selling the NFTs doesn't mean that it has to go away. Just because, you know, I fail at something doesn't mean I can't try it again or try something new or just remix it. You know what I mean? It's like, we just got to keep going and going and going and going. Yeah. Um, even in the midst of, you know, dealing with the cancer and like I got COVID, I'm like, oh, wow, it's double whammy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, something's telling me, it's like, hey, man, it's like, don't take it for granted. Don't take this time for granted. You know? That kind of thing, it, it puts, I mean, I wouldn't know, like, from my experience, but if I, if I try to think about, like, what you're feeling and thinking, it, it puts things in perspective for you, right? Like, uh, the, for example, you were talking about ego earlier, right? A lot of people are, um, they get distracted by their uh, thoughts or what they believe about certain things or, like, little things that distract them day to day. But when something big happens... Uh, something really important, uh, like, um, you know, just things with your own health, right? I imagine those, those things that pull at your attention probably don't as much anymore. I, I, I would imagine. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, one of the things about killing your ego is like, you know, you really accept how unimportant you are. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, we're just mere specks in, in, in this cosmos. You know what I mean? Um, and that's not to discount and say that you're not, you're, that you're worthless. You know, it's, they're not the same things. It's that, you know, there's always somebody worse off than you are. You know what I mean? There's someone who would like love to be in my position to be able to like sit upright and have a conversation, you know, who, who's not able to do that. You know what I mean? So it, it humbles me, you know what I mean, to be able to, you know, do something that somebody else can't do, you know, um, but yet still feel that I'm worthy enough to have, you know, the rewards or, you know, the accolades or, you know, just being able to to um, express my views or anything. Mm. You know? um, I think growing up. <laughs> You know, it's like a lot of times, you know, our self-esteems are bashed by our friends or families or loved ones. And you really have to work on building yourself up and believing in yourself and, um, you know, trying to be successful, especially as an artist. Um, you know, it's not easy to be creative because people think you're crazy. You know, yeah. they think, oh, my gosh, you got these ideas and whoever thought of that, I wouldn't try that or anything. But it's like it's the artists and the innovators and creators, you know, what I'm saying who make the world what it is. You know, it's like for the people who can't do that, you know, they benefit from that creativity. You know what I'm saying? They're entertained. They're, you know, it, it uplifts spirits. You know what I'm saying? Telling stories um, motivates people. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're, we're social creatures. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it's like we, we drive, we thrive off each other. We can't, you know, no man is an island. You can't think that you're so important that you can't deal with somebody else. You know what I mean? Or you can't benefit from somebody else's um, story. Yeah, man. No, one hundred percent. And there's also people who, uh, kind of just to go back a little bit to what you just said, the that sometimes don't believe in in the vision or believe in what you're talking about. And it's just because they just have a different ver. I mean, we essentially we're all the same, right? Uh, I, ideally speaking, but you know, different people have a different version of reality in their head. One person might be more inclined you know, more towards logic, you know, maybe, maybe they're into uh, more, they're more of a math person or something like that. But then you, you start talking about a create sort of a creative vision or something, and they don't see the sense in it, or they, or they think that, you know, you should sort of have a uh, uh, do something practical, or take the beaten path, you know, don't don't do this new thing that you believe in, and that you really want to do, because they just don't, 
they don't get it. But then, you know, somebody who's creatively inclined, you know, uh, it's probably better. I mean, it's good to take feedback from people, right? Some people really care about you and they want you to do well. And that's sometimes why they say what they say. Uh, but then those same people sometimes discourage the creatives, right? And so it's like, uh, it's like important for the, the person who's, uh, who is creative to sort of make that sort of distinction, right? When, when is somebody trying to give me that feedback that's really meant for me they really care they're trying to help out and when is it that they're just kind of being a kind of like a hate not a hater but kind of like you know they don't they don't believe in what you're doing they're kind of keeping you by giving you this other opinion they keep you from kind of moving forward and i don't know but yeah sorry you wanted to so yeah loopy going back into your kind of legacy right and what you've left behind so i'm curious right um in terms of your career in journalism and particularly in hip-hop journalism how did you start out and kind of can you tell us a little bit about the hip-hop indie uh, magazine scene at the time because this is before the source right um this is like maybe three years after the source okay yeah so, so, yeah, so 80 88 i think it was Right. So right at that time, right, because the source was like source and I don't even think Vibe was out at the time, but the source was pretty much the predominant, if not the only like magazine at the time. So what was that like for you kind of getting into the industry and obviously getting to interview groups like Wu-Tang and then obviously Biggie at the time that he was coming up and others? Well, yeah, like I said, I started in 91. So Biggie and Wu-Tang, they hadn't come out yet. Um, the any magazine, you know, industry at that time, like so it was basically brand new. So you had all these different regions all over the country coming out with their own magazines. You know what I mean? Independent magazines. You had stuff in Seattle. You had stuff in, you had 4080 up in, you know, the Bay Area. Um, you had all these independent magazines coming out. So you had all kinds of different viewpoints. You know, you started learning about different cultures in different cities. <laughs> Hip hop wasn't the same in every city. I mean, LA, you know, we had, you know, gangster rap, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you didn't have that in New York, you didn't have that in Seattle, you didn't have that down South. Every region had their own, you know, culture that they were expressing through hip hop. So in LA, you know, at the time, a lot of the, the stuff that we wrote about no sellout had to do with a lot of um, the issues that were going on in the city. You know, like I said, um, and you had like Ice-T, you know, six in the morning, you had all these different songs about all this, you know, home invasions and, you know, <laughs> it's like craziness going on. And our magazine was kind of like, well, we need to see some of the positive things too. Um, you know, some of the black culture and all that. So our magazine, like I said, we decided to cover more of like more political, you know, socioeconomic issues in hip hop and in LA, you know, so like misogyny, um, you know, just police brutality, you know, these kind of things we were talking about, these things we were discussing because these were what was relevant to us in LA at the time. Um, the music that was coming out was kind of foretelling and foreseeing the LA riots. You know, it was just like, you know, we had, you know, the murder of a girl named Latasha Harlins. So I don't know, right. if I yeah. remember, but you know. Yeah, she, she, that was not 91, right? That was like around, ooh, maybe 90, maybe 89. Right, right. It was, it was, it was prior, it was prior, you know, to '92. Right, and Pac, and Pac wrote about that. Pac actually had her in a couple of his songs. Yeah, he was devastated by it, and this was a girl he didn't even know. Right, you know, but like I said, it's like just like today, with all the names that we're you know calling out, um, it's it just hasn't changed. It's like we just have more names added to the list of people who were killed unrighteously, you know, in our communities. It just wasn't become, this wasn't an issue in hip hop. You know what I'm saying? This became a nationwide, you know, issue for everyone, for all people mm -hmm. of color. Um, you know, we were just some of the first kind of like, you know, hip hop was kind of like the first forewarners of, of these types of things happening, you know, that we see happening so often now, you know, people being killed, you know, unjustifiably. You know, it just hasn't stopped. Um, <laughs> so, when I got into it, I was introduced to a guy who was writing the magazine and he's like, Hey, you know, um, you want to write some music reviews? I'm like, yeah, sure. All right, mm -hmm. cool. Here's some books, here's some magazines. You know, I mean, here's some books, here's some records, here's some movies. You write reviews, you know, we'll, uh, give me some weed. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. I'm like, you know, you know, 
fresh out of college, no money, no job. Like, okay, yeah, free weed and music. Yeah, I'm down. But, you know, like I said, over time, it's like you start to learn, you start to learn more about the culture and you talk to people who are in the culture. And you, like I said, you see like, okay, it's the same thing. It's like, it doesn't matter where you come from, it's where you at. You know, what are you dealing with? How are you dealing with all this devastation that's going around? You can have conversations with people who, um, you know, are writing music about these types of things, you know? And it's like, wow, you know, like they grew up around this. They grew up around all this poverty and all this killing and all this thing, but look, you know, they're taking these stories about all this tragedy and making it into something that's good. You know what I'm saying? Something you can listen to and relate to um, and ask questions and wonder like, how can people live this way? You know, or how can someone live this way and then write a song about it? Mm -hmm let alone so it's like wow you know that just shows you the the, the power that hip-hop has you know what i'm saying it turn tragedies into legacies yep yeah you know and, I mean? then, and then also communities too if you think about it so it's like behind the history of hip-hop it was sort of a way to cure maybe not cure but a way to sort of remedy in a way uh gang violence so and it was the same thing with breakdancing so people i don't know how much like just people generally know about the history but it's literally because you know people were killing each other at the time especially with these gang wars that they decided okay we'd rather them battle like rap and we'd rather them break dance with each other and battle each other that way than literally kill each other on the streets yep makes sense mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so and then loopy what was it like for you interviewing some of these people at the time right i mean because these were like not even i mean i was gonna say of the era but even now these are some of the biggest hip-hop stars biggest musicians of all time yeah so from 91 to about i would say 93 um no sellout was on the scene and then mm -hmm. kind of like disappeared and then another magazine came up the, the editor of no sellout became the publisher of chronic Mm -hmm. and that came out in 93 the same year that vibe came out mm -hmm. so that was the same year that you know um, um wu-tang came out mm -hmm. so um one of my first you know features you know for that magazine chronic was interviewing the wu-tang clan so <laughs> we went to the set of the triumph video mm -hmm. and that was for their um i guess the second lp and um, we got to interview the whole clan. Like everyone was there, you know, for the recording of that video. So when somebody wasn't on stage, we'd have somebody off stage interviewing them. So one of the things that Chronic Magazine was known for was um, smoking out the artists. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, we'd smoke out the artists and then we always printed the full interview. We didn't make to any cuts or interrupted or, you know, took chunks of what they said, we printed the whole interview in its entirety. And mm -hmm. Chronic Magazine got, you know, much love and respect for that in the hip hop community at the time, because a lot of magazines were trying to fluff their stories up. You know, the writers were trying to like build themselves up and their reputations. We had a reputation for making artists feel comfortable, you know, getting them ready for the rest of the day when they had to interview other people who didn't know much about the culture. <laughs> so they're like, hey, let's interview a chronic. They're going to get our heads right so that we can like interview all the rest of these fools out here who got all these dumb questions for us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anytime they saw Chronic Magazine or they knew we were coming, they were like, oh, yes. So um, on the West Coast, they were like one of the premier magazines. People always want to come and have an interview with Chronic. So um, the, the Wu Tang interview was interesting because, like I said, we smoked everyone out. So it's like the whole clan, everyone got. We got to smoke blunts with all of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's eight. Well, then Capadonna was there. Okay, so like nine, you know, nine different interviews. Um, that was just a memorable night, just, you know, being with the Wu-Tang. I'm a huge Wu-Tang fan. So that was like one of my most memorable nights. Um, but I would have to say hands down, the interview with Biggie was my most, it was, it was my favorite. Mm -hmm. It was my favorite just because you know, he was so humble. He was such a humble brother. I interviewed him the night before, no, the night that his album was dropping, the first album. Yep. He was in LA, um, him and Craig Mack, they were gonna perform. And right before the performance, I got to go to the hotel, to Chateau Marmont, and sit down with him and do the interview. And I remember after the interview was over, Biggie was like, man, if this album don't, you know, if it don't do nothing, man, I'm just gonna be right back on the streets. 
you know, I was like, damn, man, why are you gonna say something like that, man? You about to blow up, you about to blow up. It's mm-hmm. like, man, there's, there's nothing, you know, there's no guarantees in life. You know, like I said, if this don't pop, then I'm, I'll be back on the streets. I gotta do what I gotta do. And he was real. I mean, this is the night his album was dropping. He's saying this, you know, he's, right. he's, he's, you know, he still was at that level where it's like, you know, he wasn't cocky. Like he portrays himself in South, man. He's very, very humble, very realistic, very down to earth, you know. And every time he come to LA, he'd be like, yo, what's up, y'all? He calls up. Mm-hmm. Does he want to hang out? <laughs> you know? Imagine that. Imagine that. Like you get a phone call from fucking Big Hair. He's like, hey, what's up, man? Want to do something? Yo, yo, what's up? You know, got some of that Kelly Chronic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. Like we treated him like family. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, yo, bro, we were, congratulations. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and I never saw myself as, as, it's like a groupie or like a you know i'm just a fan of people but like i wasn't like a groupie or all up on him like that i was like he's just people like me you know what i'm saying he just got a spotlight shining on him yep. you know what I mean? but he just trying to work and survive and you know make something of himself you know what i mean and feel good about himself make other people feel good you know and that's kind of how i approached all the artists you know what i mean it's like you you got this chance and this opportunity to express yourself you know what i'm saying and and to come out of something that was worse than what you were doing you know what I mean? Or, you know, coming out of something that was in a bad situation, you made it something good out of it. You know, that's cause for congratulations. You know what I mean? Wow, man. And do you remember some of the things you talked about with Big? Man, what did we talk about? We talked mostly about the music, mm-hmm. you know, about how he got started. Um, I can't remember the details, but yeah, some of his earlier work, you know, prior to him, you know, being signed and some of the, um, the you know, the things he had to go through. Like there was another um, Biggie Smalls, you know, another rapper named Biggie Smalls and they want wow. to bring in lawyers. And he was like, man, I don't fuck with no lawyers, man. So I just, you know, notorious B.I.G. And wow. like that, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you want to avoid all the conflicts or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, but like I said, I just, I just remember just how cool he was. I remember just how humble he was um, in that interview. You know, I mean, let me see, it was him and Craig Mack. So that's mm-hmm. two blunts. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not remember from that interview <laughs> and this but, this um, was this was after craig mack took off right before biggie's album because i think flavor in your ear came out before that yeah 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 mm-hmm. so they were both performing that night at the club okay so after the interview they went off to the club um me and my you know close friend we went to the club we saw the performance after the performance biggie was like yo you know what's up got some more of that chronic I'm like yeah okay so me and my publisher and Lil Cease and Biggie, we found some kind of corner down in a in a stairwell. And we're going down there and you know, we're hitting the blunt. Then all of a sudden, man, it's like hear gunshots upstairs. We're like, and we're looking up, we look at each other. Shrugging out. Like, nothing happened. <laughs> like, hey, hey, you going up? No, I ain't going up there. No, no. I mean, we just, so, you know. We stayed there, we finished the blunt, we, you know, finished the conversation, we hear footsteps, people running out the club and everything. Mm-hmm. And so we're down there. So, you know, blunt's finally down to little Roach. It's like, all right, let's, let's get out of here. <laughs> we walked upstairs, club was empty. We get outside, there's Puff Daddy at the limo, mm-hmm. waiting with the door open. Big C's, get over here, let's get out, let's go. And I was like, all right, y'all, peace. And they left. <laughs> they didn't take wow. you with them? <laughs> no, we didn't come with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was crazy. It was a crazy night. That was, a, that was like the craziest night. I mean, one of the most memorable interviews of my career, you know, yeah. just to kick it with a legend and just him being so cool and, you know, having the club get shot up where he just performed. <laughs> yeah, and you then know. so and, and you pretty much you kept up a periodic relationship with him yeah he would come you know when they would come to the west coast mm-hmm. um they called us up hey what's up you know mm-hmm. come down to the hotel go bring some of that green you know yeah wow big. the last time he came um was for the vibe you know party yeah uh, peterson museum and i didn't go but my publishing partner he went and he was actually going to get into that car with Biggie. Biggie was like, yo, come to the hotel and come listen to the new album. 
Mm-hmm. Boy was like, nah, you know, I got to bring my boy with me. You know, you know we got to chop it up. We'll come tomorrow and we'll chop it up then. So my boy's like, okay, B, he got in the van and my boy's walking away. And as he was walking away, he heard the gunshots, wow. you know, down the street. And he knew at that time, it was like, whoa, someone just shot Biggie. Wow. Yeah, so yeah. he was just that close to being in the, you know, in the in the suburban with him. How come he decided not to go? Do you remember? Well, because I wasn't there. He's like, you know, because no. like, we're, we're, yeah. we wanted to interview him. You know, it's like, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. We'll do it when it's oh. oh, wow, man. Like, you know, you just came from the party, you know, the vibe. Right. Party highs and all that stuff. Just you know, we'll handle, we'll handle our business the next day. Right. Like, all right. Cool. So, but there was no next day. Yeah. You know that night. It, I mean, obviously, it's okay if you don't like feel comfortable talking about it. But do you remember what it was like to find out the next day that he'd been shot? I was devastated. Yeah. I, I was. I was. It was hard. You know what I mean. Hmm. It's still hard. You know what I mean. Um, just like I said, I remember who he was and how he was, you know what I mean? And I, you know, <laughs> it's weird. Um, you know, I even like even get choked about it, like, you know, now. I hadn't really talked about it in a while. You know, some, some of you just talk about it all the time. But um, yeah, I mean, he was a great individual, man. I could see, you know, why people had this natural affinity for him. I mean, yep. as, 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 you know, the, the character he portrayed in his music, you know what I'm saying? The way he was able to, you know, rap, you know, it was, it was, you know, you couldn't be nothing but amazed by his skill set, you know, the way he was able to execute his raps, you know, and just being a humble, you know, brother, you know, realistically, you know, it's like to see dichotomy is like, wow, man, you're a true artist, right. you know? Yeah, man. Wow. And just, I mean, what an experience to have known them. I mean, geez, man, like, wow, him, Wu-Tang. And so I know we didn't get into this too much, but I am curious. So I love RZA. Uh, do you remember some of the things you took away from your conversation with him? Because he's like, he's super intelligent. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Yeah, I mean, honestly, man, it's like, you know, I can't remember. <laughs> what yeah, specifics? Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm just curious. Interviews, yeah, it's like, um, let me see that whole, the, the Wu-Tang interview, I mean, of course, I mean, Method Man was like the most, you know, yeah. animated of them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember, I remember we interviewed Red Man and Method Man together. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, quote, <laughs> that was the year of the man. So we did a special double issue called the Chocolate Greenleaf issue. Mm-hmm. And so this was back when, I don't know, there was a strain of marijuana called Chocolate Tie. Mm-hmm. I know it was like, um, there's a song written about Chocolate Tie. Uh, so we had like Chocolate Tie and then we had like some green chronic and we wrote it all together in, in a in a blunt, mm-hmm. a couple of blunts and we interviewed Red Man and Method Man. Mm-hmm. And I think that was possibly the most high I've ever been in my life uh-huh. <laughs> during that interview. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was, I was pretty well toasted <laughs> during that interview. Um, but yeah, once again, like this is before the Wu Tang interview. So when we got to Method Man, you know, he looked at us like, "Hey, is this a gimmick? You know, is this, this going to be like the last time? Is this guy going to fall asleep on us again?" Because <laughs> I literally passed out. I was. I was so lifted. Um, <laughs> I read that, you know, Method Man interview. So at the Wu Tang, he was like, "Yeah, man." It's like, "Yeah, you you watch yourself." <laughs> wow, man! So he kind of yeah, like just... gave me a barber about you know falling asleep during the interview. Yeah, yeah, man. So it's like it's it's you have a great legacy. I mean, just obviously working for the magazine, interviewing these great people. And so um, before we wrap up, like, so what are sort of in your immediate future plans? What are you working on these days? Um, I think so right now I'm working on this, this documentary, mm-hmm. um, just about, you know, black kid growing up in LA, you know, post-civil rights, um, coming up and actually being introduced to hip hop, you know, cause like I was, uh, gosh, I was in fourth grade when Rappers Delight came out. 
so you know that was just like the emergence that was like my first exposure yep. you know sitting, sitting at the um lunch tables banging on lunch boxes you know making up beats mm-hmm. with the homies you know singing rapper's delight yeah you know and just kind of like how you know things in the culture in general kind of like elevated hip-hop to the status that it got to be and you know things that it meant in my life um so yeah working on that i'm working on some poetry and um yeah that's about it right now and raising my sons and taking care of my body you know um i'm trying to keep it very focused and narrow right about now because um it's weird man it's like when people you know learn about my background in hip-hop you know they're kind of surprised because you know i've been in education um i was in the film industry for 15 years um like i said i played a lot of different roles and a lot of different people mm-hmm. and i'm always like you know trying to reinvent myself and like trying to do something new and exciting to keep you know the artistic you know vibes and flows going mm-hmm. and um you know through sickness and health you know what i mean it's like it's not an easy job, you know, and then being a father too, um, I have two sons. Um, one of them is like special needs. So I had to take care of him and, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a struggle, but, you know, my sons are my inspiration. Um, you know, guys like you who are interested in my story and, and, and what I have to say, you know, that's, that's inspiring me too. It, it inspires me to want to keep going. It's like, you know, like I said, I used to be like, you know, who am I to like talk about myself or who am I to like, you know, promote myself, you know, I'm just a little speck in the cosmos, you know, but then I remember, you know, all the stories I've read about different people, all the people I interviewed, you know, all the people I've run across in my life, they all, you know, we all have stories and some were very inspiring. I'm like, well, dang, you know, they came from what they came from and they are who they are and they can inspire. I can do the same thing. So right now I'm just trying to live my life and um, hopefully put something out there that'll inspire somebody. You know, it's like, hey, it might be bad. You might be in some position or you might think that, you know, you're not worthy, but it's like, you, you are. You know, you're just as worthy as the next guy to tell your story and live your life and tell your truth. You know, cause somebody wants to hear it. Somebody has to hear it. Yeah, I love that, man. It will definitely be on the lookout for your autobiography and the potential documentary as well. So, Alan, final questions before we wrap up? Oh, yeah. Uh, if we wanted to follow you, follow your work, uh, where, where could we find you? All right. Well, all over social media is Loopy D, L-O-U-P-Y-D. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a blog, www.loopyd.com. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. And um, hopefully, you know, I'll be putting out more content and... Um, yeah, just interacting more with people and like, you know, trying to, um, you know, really find my voice and solidify, you know, what I want to put out there in the world. And that's, you know, that's love and growth, you mm-hmm. know, for everybody. Cause you know, when you're stagnant, you know, life ain't too fun. Yeah. True. You, Absolutely. Gotta, you gotta be in the mix. You gotta like, you know, you gotta interact, you know, you gotta love people. You know what I mean? They hear you, man. 100%. Loopy yeah. man, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, man. All right, you guys, like I said, thank you again for having me and keep doing what you guys are doing, man. I love it. It's like you guys are all over the place and, uh, you know, that's that's respectful. Absolutely, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. All right, you guys. Take care. Have a great Sunday. All right, man. You too. All right, guys. So if you want to follow us, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and also at Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Like, subscribe hit the bell guys. Thanks again so much for watching. We're going to be off next week for Memorial day, but uh, we'll be back right after that. So again, see you next time.